Scott Long here. This might work. The podcast that has disappeared off the face of the earth, it seems like, for maybe over a month. I'll get into that in a minute. Today we have uh, what I consider a really fun topic. Uh, it's baseball cards. I don't know if you're aware, but in 1991, baseball cards were a $1.2 billion industry. They were being discussed on CNBC or the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal as a better place to put your money than the stock market. Now, there's been some uh, ups and downs in the history of mankind. Of course, the tulip craze of uh, Denmark would be one of them. And, of course, the dot-com craze of the uh, 1990s. Today, though, let's not get too inside baseball, but we are going to talk about baseball cards. And my guest host today is not Pete the Planner, because from now on, I'm going to refer to him as the guest host. He is so successful in his life, that's been kind of a running theme, that he doesn't even have time for this podcast, which pays him nothing. He probably loses money on. So I wanted to reach out to someone who I know is probably close to as funny and definitely smarter than Pete the Planner, Peter Dunn. Today, my guest host is Jake Query. Jake, I don't want to do the bio. I'd rather you do the bio and, and don't be uh, don't be modest. Uh-huh. Don't be uh, Midwest modest. Tell them what you've done in your life so the the listeners know. Well, Pete the Planner is Peter Dunn, right? Yes. So I'm Pike Point Guard. Currently, that's right. Uh, Indianapolis Pike High School mm-hmm. basketball extraordinaire. Right. Peter Greatest Dunn. ginger in history of um, Pike basketball. <laughs> only ginger in Only history. ginger. Uh, I, I actually am now known as Jake's career's done. So that's good, right? Well, it's, this is it's a, a nice. This is nice how I knew up. I would get you. Uh, I knew that you are not famous for wanting to do extra work outside of the two fabulous jobs that you used to have, and now you have still one great I job. For right? now. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So I appreciate you having me on, Scott. For those that are unfamiliar, which would be the vast majority, I would assume, um, I am based, grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana, and have been a sportscaster in multiple capacities in Indianapolis over the years. That includes doing play-by-play for IndyCar radio, some television work as well for Indy Lights and open wheel racing. And in addition to that, I most recently um, was the co-host of an afternoon sports talk show in Indianapolis that was the casualty of, you know, a layoff that included a lot of people. And, yes. You know, so... You weren't that special that they just picked right. you out, that's, right? That's right. So you can't, you know, anything like that, you look at it and you say, hey, that's the price to pay for working for a big-time corporation, and I understand that. I understand the finances of business and hold no ill will or grudges on that because it is what it is. Um, I enjoyed my time there, and you see what's next. But it means that this week I've had a lot of free time. So, yeah. And I was an avid, in my free time as a kid, I was an avid, avid baseball card collector. So when you threw this out there, I said, hell yeah, I'm, I'm game for talking about that because it was a big part of my childhood. So give people an idea of your childhood, your main years as a collector and uh, obsessed young boy into baseball. You know, cards. I think like a lot of people, Scott – that grew up. I mean, I was born in 1972. So basically the eighties was my childhood. And, 
you know, I can so vividly recall. I knew, and it's funny because I, you know, obviously I work in sports still. Now, Indianapolis is not a major league baseball city, but you have the Reds, the Cardinals, the Cubs. You know, those are the three big teams here. There are some White Sox fans. Um, obviously, they're Me occasionally going to be. And the uh, producer today of the show, Joel. Uh, Joel, do you want to get on the mic and tell him who you are, Joel? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm Joel Hennard. I also live here in the wonderful city that all three of us are from, Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, quietly a fantasy baseball podcaster through the last 12 years and a wonderful friend of Scott Long's. Uh, I, oh, and, and I'm going to let Jake get back to that for a second, but just so you guys know um, that are listening we are not going to just go so in depth into baseball. If you don't like baseball, if you're like a new Coke fan or you're a wild chip fan or you're a Netflix versus blockbuster, it's a really interesting story that has as much to do with business and the times and changes that happen in an industry that's really been impacted, especially by the internet, like many other businesses. Now, Jake, I cut you off. Please go ahead. No. Um, you know, my point being, when you grow up in a in a big city, which Indianapolis wasn't as big as it is now, but without a Major League Baseball team, your yeah. interest in baseball peripherally really, I think, came from playing Little League mm -hmm. and collecting and trading baseball cards. And so, you know, I would go back in those days, and I'm sure people, whether they live in – you know, Omaha, Des Moines, Louisville, Scottsdale, wherever it might be, if you grew up in the 80s, it was not uncommon. In my mind, Scott, it was every weekend. It was probably, you know, three weekends a summer. But like a local hotel would yeah. put on a baseball card show and you'd get together with your your album of your cards and you'd go and you knew, hey, I need a Ricky Henderson rookie. That's the one that I really want. And I have two extras of George Brett's third-year card, and so I'll try to trade those. I mean, it was it was kind of like fantasy baseball before fantasy baseball. Yeah, and you were, what, what do you think? You were 10, 11, 12 when you started getting it? Were you That's younger? probably the peak years. Yeah, I would say 10 is about right. right. And then, you know, you also had, because that's right when it was really exploding, so Plus. you had guys with older brothers that already had a collection, yeah. you know, and that brother's now in college or he's in late high school and doesn't care about his cards anymore. So I remember my buddy Jason Keller and I divvying up his oldest brother, Todd, didn't want his cards anymore. Seemingly, they would be Jason's, right? It's his brother. But, right. but he and I would go to cards shows so often that his mom came up with this. We did basically a draft. Yeah. I mean, she laid out all of his cards, and he was allowed to pick three, and then I could pick one. And then, and, you know, and I'm sitting there watching him, thinking, "Man, I hope he doesn't pick that, you know, that whoever it may be, right. insert name of play Did, that Lou Brock. I mean, I really want that one, and you know, that's how it worked." Do we need to bleep Jason and Todd's name just for your protection at this point? Because this could bring up a lot of uh, hateful feelings between some brothers. <laughs> I, I think Todd's gotten over it. Okay. Uh, Jason's living out in California and is yeah. massively successful and has the money to to buy both of us out. So yeah, he was the younger one. He was the younger one. Did he was he, he did was he my take buddy. all the money that he had stolen from his brother's baseball yeah. cards to he, kind of be the seed money for his great success we, in life? And we Todd both looks were convinced, Scott, as I'm sure is kind of the theme of this podcast we both were convinced that that was the money we were going to retire on oh yeah and then you found out that in fact you could buy a pack of bubble yum bubble gum with what it was worth 
and that's really an interesting time capsule because I'm six years older than you. So I grew up in an unfettered time. When I first got the cards, there was no James Beckett, who I'll discuss in a minute. There was no anyone that was telling you any of these cards were worth anything besides what you liked. Let's say, like at the time, I was a Detroit Tigers fan, and I would trade, you you know, I would give up a Reggie Jackson to get a Willie Horton. Now, that's not a good trade, (laughs) right? but I wanted all the Tigers. That's what I was most concerned about. I didn't care about a whole collection. And uh, so I bring up this James Beckett. James Beckett uh, was a man who kind of like you were doing going to these card shows and things like that, or, you know, ripping off your uh, friends, brothers collections. He and very three or four other guys were basically scouring the country in the seventies showing up and going to estate sales or going to flea markets and throwing just a little bit of money and getting all these cards and they knew there was some worth to these. James Beckett, his background, he was a professor at Bowling Green University in Bowling Green, Ohio. So he had no real experience in knowing what these cards were worth, but what he decided to do was there were these hobby magazines. People would probably sell coins in them, stamps, and other collectibles. And baseball cards would sometimes appear in him, too. And he knew a Mickey Mantle 1952, which was very rare. The Holy Grail. Yep. Right. At the time, that it Honus really Wagner. was. Right. And, uh, and I'll explain later why those cards were worth what they were. But um, he knew those were worth more. But he decided, okay, I'm going to put out, like, in the back of this hobby magazine, send me some information about uh, where you rate these cards and how much they would be worth. So he had a couple hundred people. He took that data. It was not exactly, uh, you know, as scientific as uh, 538 or anything like that that goes on now. And he took that information and created a book that was called the Beckett's Card Guide. Now, the first year, that Mickey Mantle card in the Beckett's Card Guide was worth $50. So what happened? There's a real, from the research that I did, there's a real suggestion that Beckett kind of determined how much cards are really worth. I mean, if he decided that, hey, tomorrow my favorite player is Vita Blue and I want to make him worth more, he did. And guess what? There was nothing else out there. The book was in the B. Dalton and someone would grab it and they were like, oh, this card is worth this. And people just believed yep. that it was worth it. It would be like one person running the whole stock market. Tomorrow, let's say that um, Bernie Sanders decides uh, I'm going to run the stock market. And, oh, you know what? These corporations are worth nothing, but the green energy is worth Billions and billions. I mean, it's not that far away from that. It started to, you know, he started getting more data as it became more of a popular culture. But it's kind of a crazy uh, change in the industry because there was Scott, who was, when you were six, I was 12. And uh, I would go on my paper route, collect the money, 
go buy baseball cards and they were cheap and I would not treat them well and you'd wrap rubber bands around sure. them. There was none of this other idea that we'll get into about the condition of the card. Uh, a lot of kids would put them in the spokes of their uh, bicycle wheels to create a cool sound like people do now with, uh, you know, maybe a, uh, you know, some kind of playing card right. like you'd get from a casino. It's a crazy story. Now, do you have like a first memory of buying baseball cards? Like what was like a pack or a card that you just so wanted or what, what got you into it? Uh, that's a great question. I, I recall again, living in Indianapolis, there's an amusement park in Cincinnati called Kings Island. Sure. And in Kings Island, they had, because it was in Cincinnati, they had a reds, a small reds gift shop, an auxiliary gift shop. And what they year would always do you have, think this is? Uh, l- 80, 81, yeah. somewhere Okay, let's, let's stop for the people that are not baseball fans. Let's uh, help people understand. There aren't a lot of baseball cities left, but Cincinnati's one of them. Correct. I would Cincinnati say and St. St. Louis. Louis. Sure. And in 1980, there was no more rabid place for baseball than Cincinnati because not only did the first professional baseball team really come out of Cincinnati, but the Big Red Machine, arguably the greatest baseball team ever, was there so i'm sure it was just reds crazy well that was the thing is so i remember it was right next to the log flume they had a reds gift shop and they would always have jerseys for sale and it was this was in the twilight of the big red machine so you had the ending careers of johnny bench dave concepcion pete rose was on his way to philadelphia joe morgan and Joe Morgan, I just remember always seeing that Joe Morgan jersey and always wanting a Joe Morgan jersey. I think my sister was a fan of Joe Morgan. She was older than I. She was a baseball fan, and she liked his chicken wing thing he did yeah, with his elbow. That, explain the so, chicken wing. Well, he Joe Morgan was a right-handed batter, and when, the, when he was anticipating the pitch, he would flap his right elbow down towards his hip as he was anticipating the pitch. And... For whatever reason, my sister, you know, thought that was cool and told me. And of course, well, did she, you try that when you were playing baseball? Oh, I mean, I could mimic every baseball player's right. stance and, and there everything was unique, else. I would say that's probably the most unique swing. Maybe Ishiro's swing is almost as strange because it's almost a uh, he swings his whole body. But that and the Willie Stargell, which was kind of a the bat flip, a rhythm bat yeah. flip. And did and Jose did, Cruz also did a high leg kick? Jose yes, Cruz of the Astros would lift his left leg all the way up um, as he was getting ready to swing, and we all mimicked that. But so seeing seeing those Reds players, right? Joe Morgan was the card. Joe Morgan became my favorite player. So my to your point, Scott, about wanting Detroit Tigers players, right. I wanted every card I could get of Joe Morgan. So. You know, he had spent his career early with the Houston Colt 45s and then the Astros, and then, you know, he played for everybody. But my goal was to get every card that had been released of Joe Morgan. So, yeah, I would trade, you know, I would covet, okay, I need Joe Morgan's eighth-year card. And, you know, I've got these three cards, and this kid at a show that I met at the last show said that I know I have an Alan Trammell at home somewhere, and he likes Alan Trammell. He's a Tigers fan. You know, and that's how you would, you would broker and barter it. And I remember – during that time, trading a bunch of cards for a Ricky Henderson rookie. And I remember my dad saying, well, why would you give five cards for one card? And I said, Dad, and this goes back to your point, Scott. Dad, the Ricky Henderson rookie card is worth $20. And I'll never forget my dad saying to me, Jake, it's only worth what somebody actually pays for it. 
And that's I thought, some pretty good advice. I thought that's probably true. Well, but would you put that in the top five of things your dad's <laughs> shared with it's, you? Well, yeah. As a matter of fact, now that I'm looking for a job, I tell my dad what I want to make for a living, and he's like, "It's only you're only worth what somebody's going to pay for it." <laughs> so it all comes full circle. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that was man. It was, it was again. You were building your own roster, whether it was that you wanted all of this player, or all of this league, or all of this division, or in your case, all of this team. That's what baseball cards were. Yeah, you were right on that that shift. I was right before the shift, and my brother was born in 1972, and I know he had a differing view. And then the rookie card thing happened. I was doing some research, and I couldn't find out why someone decided the rookie card was the magic uh, beans of yeah. all baseball cards because it doesn't cost any more. It's really not more rare than any other card. I have, I have a theory here, but go okay. ahead. Um, so I guess you just want to, okay, it's the start of their career, so that's the beginning, and we want to make that the the uh, the exciting card that we're – and it's the oldest. But, okay, go ahead. What's your theory? I, I think name a player off the top of your head. Okay, I will go with um, Bill Freehand. Okay, so Bill Freehand's rookie card mm-hmm. – now, Bill Freehand's, you know, didn't exactly become a household name, but by the time Bill, in my house, he did. Well, but by the time, by the time he's in his fifth or sixth year, right? Then you're looking for Bill Freehand, right? When his rookie card comes out and he hasn't done anything yet, ah. nobody knows who he is, so the odds are more likely that that card becomes the card that goes into a kid's bike spoke or the card that is the top with the rubber band over it. Mm. And so people are not, you know, value always comes obviously in quantity. I love this, and so. If you, you know, as a rookie card, it that is more likely right. that was the card that was not taken care of, and thus it was not in abundance by the time people were holding on to it. Okay, I'm gonna stop everyone that, that, that has been listening to the show. We've been doing very well. Uh, please, <laughs> we have actually. We uh, go to, uh, you know, please like, follow. Uh, maybe you could leave a review that helps the bio rhythms. I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm not real fancy on all the marketing terms. Uh, for the podcast, but the point that Jake made, Peter Dunn not capable of making that point. That's yeah. why Jake Query is here today. Uh, I hope Pete someday comes back. We'll find a topic that he's good at, like I don't know, fancy wines or uh, you know uh, restaurants that James Beard likes. You know, that's right. Peter Dunn level. Coming back to this. Peter's busy taking restaurant recommendations for San Diego, right? Well, considering that um, I do okay in my business, but I do okay. Pretty good. Pretty good. But I've told people I'm a superstar. Speaking of baseball, I give the analogy. I am like a superstar in AAA. I'm like that guy that was like, why didn't he become a great major league? His comps were awesome in AAA. Razor shines, baby. Well, yeah, or the Ken Phelps, or there's always a few guys that you're like, why did uh, I'm that guy in comedy? But Peter Dunn, uh, you know, man, he's doing well, and I'm glad he's doing well. Okay, back to... I'm loving this podcast. I don't know about you. Are you feeling good about it, Jake, so far? Yeah, I feel good, yeah. Okay. We're going to go back into the beginning of baseball cards. When did they really start? Well, you know, just like the history of baseball, no one quite knows. Was it Doubleday? Was it Cartwright? No one's quite sure whoever created baseball. Was it cricket? Was it not? The first cards that really stand out 
were these uh, T100 cards that were sold in cigarette packs back in uh, the teens and the 19 teens. And Honus Wagner, that card, they didn't make a lot of these. They were put in the cigarettes to help allegedly get more adults to smoke, but it was the 1900s. You know, kids could smoke too. They were probably working in a factory, (laughs) taking in Uh a lot more Carnegie sludge in Pittsburgh than they would if they smoked three packs a day. So who cares? This card, there's a lot of stories. And no, honestly, have you ever like done research or ever heard why Honus Wagner didn't want his cards to be sold in cigarette packs? Yeah, it's always been my understanding that he was opposed to tobacco and smoking. Now, yeah. whether that's true or not, I don't know. I can't imagine he is, you know, he was C. Everett Coop of the, of the turn <laughs> of the century, but that's always been my understanding. Or at least that's the urban legend, right? Yeah. Well, it is kind of an urban legend. No one's quite sure if that's the case. Uh, some people would point to the idea that, well, maybe Honus Wagner loved money which he did. And those baseball players didn't make a lot of it in those days. And he didn't really like the idea that they really weren't paying him anything for these, his likeness. You know, he was about a hundred years ahead of the NCAA on asking for his likeness to get, you know, some money off of. So there's a many different reasons, but this somehow card becomes this special magical card. It's nowhere the size of a regular typical baseball card. And currently, I don't even know the value. Uh, Joel, I can't find my notes on that. Can you look up the value currently of the Honus Wagner baseball card? Uh, Many people have owned it. There's basically one mint condition card. And speaking of that, that's something that people that don't know a lot about baseball cards don't realize that when you would look at the Beckett Guide and you were a kid, you would go, Oh my gosh, this Ricky Henderson is no worth twenty dollars. Oh yeah. But it the the Those, corners were were frayed or something. There was a crack in it or it wasn't centered. Um, to get really any money for a card, you have to have it in mint condition. There was levels that Beckett determined. There was mint, excellent, very good, good, fair, and poor. At this point, I'd like to ask you, Jake. Where do you consider yourself at this point in your life? Uh, <laughs> between these, here's the list again right here. The Let's mint, see. excellent. Where, where would you put yourself in the uh, history of Jake Query? I would rate myself as, <clears throat> that's a good question, fair. Oh, come on. You, no, no, come on. Yeah, fair. Well, I'm not talking about, in, I'm talking outward. Oh, in like terms the, of my physical appearance? Yeah, because that's what the card is. Okay. We, we're not looking at the the, the inner workings let me, let me, of the let person. Let me relook you here. Know? Okay. Um, well, I'm not mint, although a mint card is one that you know has not had much tattering or mm-hmm. fraying or anything like that. But I'm I'm certainly not mint because I'm I'm a little gray. I don't have a lot of wrinkles. That's good. Yeah. Uh, but but I would say, boy, that's that's tough. I good okay i would go i'm six four two oh two i would go excellent for you your age well thank you definitely excellent (laughs) thank you i am um i'm I'm not a uh, modest person usually i'm pretty uh uh out front about my qualities 
I was surprised that you said you're six years older than I, though, so that would put you in the very good to excellent category. Uh, very good. Not that uh, 53 is old. I, I would say right now I'm in good. I'm at like the fattest I have pretty much ever been. Uh, my birthday was yesterday. Oh, well, happy birthday. Thanks. And um, my uh, diet is just exploded yeah. for the, like, uh-huh. the last month and a half. And uh, I'm a married man with three kids. You are, do not have kids. That is correct. And you are a man that has been in the public eye. In some ways, and I think there's a vanity that goes with that, and you stay on top of it. You're vi- you are like you are like super fit for a guy <laughs> your age in Indianapolis. In LA, you're just the run of the mill. Oh, uh, LA, I'm I'm fair to poor for sure. I'm certainly poor in LA. I mean, you there's no poor, doubt about that. Poor, <laughs> no doubt about yeah, that. I would say fair to poor. Okay. So you're saying very good right now. I'm good to very good. I'd say definitely at least very good, if not excellent. I'm at good. Joel, uh, let me find out. What is the price on that card right now? $3.12 million. <laughs> Righteous bucks, right? Yeah. Once, once again, what was your dad's uh, point of view? It's only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. So you might go, well, how is the boom dead if it's that card's worth three point? That's a magic. That's uh, that's a Van Gogh, okay? Correct. And it's the Mona Lisa. Yeah, it's it is. It's the Mona Lisa. Which, by the way, have you seen the Mona Lisa? Have you been to Paris? I have not been to Paris. I have seen it uh, in many many movies. It's uh, knockoff. Of it's it. like the size of a baseball card. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, it's not literally, but it is. Yeah, you, like you, an upper deck one, a little bigger. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but uh, honestly, like you think the Mona Lisa would be this massive painting, right? And you go to the Louvre and you wait in line and you go through the serpent line and then you get to the front and they say, okay, you got thirty seconds and you can only stand like eighteen feet from it and it's behind rope. And there are many people that think that it's actually not the Mona Lisa and that the Mona Lisa is like in a vault under the Louvre, but it's probably. 24 inches high by 18 inches wide, something like that? I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. But, I mean, you know, you you look at it and you're like, well, I've known of this painting. I don't remember a time in my life when I didn't know of the Mona Lisa. So it's cool to look at it. But you you, you think, really? And there are other paintings and, and works of art in the Louvre that are massive. And it's kind of along the lines of this discussion. And I don't know the answer to this. But it's like, okay, so what does make that painting... You know the the masterpiece and the and these others just commons. You know, right. Why are these others Bob Horner and that one is Honus Wagner? I, I don't know. Now it's a priceless work of art, Joel. The Mona Lisa. Do they they put some kind of price on it that you can? Do you, can you look that up for me too? If you can, if is there a price on the Mona Lisa? I was uh, thinking about that. Where, what would you do with the Mona Lisa if you bought it? Yeah. You be know what scared I mean? all the time. <laughs> no question. Because I mean, you're dead in like ten seconds. Right. I mean, you can't carry enough money to put, be killed. Put it over for the fireplace. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, you can't. You know. I mean, it wouldn't be like you could uh, set up tours in your house because somebody would constantly want to. What do they say? All right. In 1962, it was worth a hundred million dollars. It was reassessed in 2017. It is now worth 620 million dollars. Yeah. Okay. So think about that. That's worth six hundred and twenty million. If you went and looked at the Honus Wagner card, that's worth three million. Percentage-wise, in your eyes, you would probably think, well, the Honus Wagner is much more beautiful. 
Sure. For for the the money. It's a little more practical. Yeah, you could carry it. You could, <laughs> you, could right. you could put it in your bicycle spokes. You that could, yeah. that would be a guy a guy that's really rich would buy that, <laughs> get on his huffy, no, stick it on there no, and go Scott, watch. No, Scott Jeff Bezos would put the Mona Lisa in his huffy. See, that's that's, that's how you know you're really rich, yeah. right? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, that's Jeff Smillion would put the Honus Wagner. He's correct. He's got, he's got that kind that's of money fair. versus yes, Jeff correct. Bezos. All right, so that is the first card that kind of blew up, and you're like, well, if that's worth $3.1 million, how is it that these baseball cards have fallen apart? The first year that baseball cards really kind of took off was 1952. That was Tops. That's the brand. That's kind of the first one. They bought, they basically paid uh, Major League Baseball for the rights to um, be the, the official baseball company of, uh, of the sport. And that was also the year that Mickey Mantle was his first card came out and it was worth way more than everybody else. And you're like, well, why was that at the time they would not just produce. I remember there was like a magic number forever and it was 660 baseball cards would come out each year with tops, I think in the seventies and even the early eighties. And they would just pump them all out at once. But in 1952, in some of the first years, they had series that would come out. And so 1952, Mickey Mantle was the last series that came out. Well, you were most excited about when the cards first came out. They might come. You would go to the store and you're like, is this the day? I know it's February. I think they come out in February. And every day you'd be like, are the cards out? Are the cards out? And I remember the Kmarts would have these plastic packs that you could see. There were like maybe 30 cards in the pack and they were plastic and you would see the front and the back of both of them. So you'd be mad, you know, just furiously trying to find out, okay, was is Reggie Jackson in here or is, uh, you know, Tony Perez in here? In 1952, that last series came out like in August. Was it Oscar Gamble you traded for? Who did you say? Willie Horton? Willie Horton. Yeah, Reggie Jackson seems to have given you like a baseball card PTSD because you've referenced him like three times. I think it's because you traded a Reggie Jackson card. Possibly. And so see that therefore that creates, does it not, a nostalgic craving to once again find that Reggie Jackson card. Like you have to make good on that. Okay, let's talk. Uh, we're going to go a little inside baseball here. If we're going to talk about the 1970s and you're going to say the greatest player of the 1970s, you could definitely make arguments for many different players, including Johnny Bench and Joe Morgan. And mm-hmm. you could argue different, you know, Tom Seaver or Jim Palmer. There, you know, there's a lot of different guys in there, but if you're going to say the most famous and, you know, the Tiger Woods of baseball in the 70s, it was totally Reggie Jackson. No question. I mean, he was right. the most dramatic player no of that time. He already was a superstar with the Oakland A's. Then he goes to New York, part of the Bronx Zoo. Baseball never had more publicity than the late 70s. Uh, it was at its peak, I think, for you know people being crazy about baseball. And this will go into why the cards go down in, 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 in price and in, in interest, too. Because the 1970s, the late 1970s, there was 12 major newspapers in New York. 
They were all trying to scoop each other. They had this combust, uh, combustible team in New York with a crazy owner, the first crazy owner of all time that like, he was, he was kind of a Donald Trump who wanted publicity every day about himself. Right. And then he had Reggie Jackson, who was one guy. The next best player was Thurman Munson, who was like, it was like a Republican versus a Democrat. They had nothing in common. One liked to party. The other one liked to go out hunting. It was just like these, everything was a, a bomb, but they won three championships. And, and Reggie Jackson hit three home runs right. and three straight at bats. Three straight pitches. Yeah. Three different pitchers. Crazy. And he did that while playing and representing New York. Right. And did it against the Dodgers. Los Angeles. So everything was perfect. Right. Did, it's did, not like he, he was a Detroit Tiger doing that against the St. Louis Cardinals. No, like the Super Bowl this year uh, is the Kansas City Chiefs going against the 49ers. The 49ers is a decent sized market. Kansas City's not. If you were to tell, you know, executives now, could you imagine almost every year the Yankees and the Dodgers are going to play right. in the championship? And that happened for about a 40-year swing where the Dodgers and the Yankees, or they might have been in Brooklyn, but they were playing for a long stretch. So they were either two New York teams or they were in. So it was a different sport. The sport was huge, way bigger than the NFL. Yeah, I, way bigger. The NBA was about to crater at that point. So baseball was just when you were a kid oh. in Indianapolis where there was no professional anything but the uh the the Pacers which was an NBA team, baseball was still way more popular. But you know Scott, in, in addition to that, like I can still remember the Reggie Jackson 1984 All-Star card that had the the star down in the bottom left corner and it would say All-Star and you know he was with the Angels then, but you know, I can still, I was just the other day telling a buddy of mine, I can recite the National League and American League all-star lineups pretty close to, you know, to accurate. Right. And 83, 84, and it's because I collected the baseball cards. Yeah. I mean, that's how I, you know, I mean, I, and that's how I monitored, and that's how, and for for people that are younger, they would not be aware of this fact, but in 1983 or 1982, you know, any of the early 80s, for a lot of players, the All-Star game was the only time you got to see them play. In, yeah. You know, you knew what they looked like from the card, but I never saw – Dale Murphy you saw because Superstation TBS carried Braves games. And Ron Say or Ryan Sandberg you saw because the Cubs were on Superstation you know, WGN. Right. I, I never saw Lance Parrish play games other right. than in the All-Star game. Right. Alan Trammell, et cetera. But I knew they were great players because I had their All-Star baseball card. Right. And you, you mentioned the baseball card, not only because uh, the baseball card on the back had statistics, yeah. which you would kind of look at, and now you look at the, st uh, the statistics uh, that would be on the back of a baseball card, and a younger generation, I was the first generation that had any interest in anything but the counting stats that were a batting average, a home run, and an RBI, maybe stolen bases, Okay. Now you would look at the back of it and you're like, well, why am I going to look at that? I can't get war. Right. I can't get whip. I can't get all these very specific saber metrical. Go watch uh, for you people that don't aren't interested in baseball. Go watch uh, the money ball with Brad Pitt. Maybe you can get a little feel for what I'm talking about, but that's one of the reasons baseball cards. Why would you even have stats on the back of it? Do you remember Scott, how cool Your it phone was? would give you it better. And do you remember what a, what a big deal it was 
They would list. Give me another player off the top of your head. Okay, I'll pick a more famous player okay. this time. Uh, let's go with uh, Jose Canseco. Okay, Jose Canseco. So Jose Canseco burst into the league in what, probably 86 or 87, I'm guessing, off the top of my head. Right. And, you know, Jose Canseco, they're, I'm assuming this is correct, in probably 88 or 89, he might have led the American League in home runs, probably with 39 home runs. And so on the back of the card, right. you would see his stats, and oh my goodness, look at that. That's in bold type. Right. So he led the league in home yeah. runs, or he led the yeah. league in RBI or average. And when you would see one mm-hmm. that had that that bold type, oh my, you know, now I've got something here. This guy's a really good player. And that's right. how you kept track of who were great players. You know, Tony Gwynn. Right. I mean, you look at Tony Gwynn's averages, and you're like, look at this. Led the league, led the league, led the league. You know, it was great. You couldn't even go out to a bookstore and buy a book that had the stats of, right. of players. It right. just You had to wait for the Sunday newspaper to put the stats in, or you had your baseball cards. So let's go through a few of the issues that start to derail the baseball industry, uh, baseball card industry. And you might say derail to deregulate. Tops had a monopoly on baseball cards. And then in the 80s, they went to court. And what did the court say? Well, the court said that Tops had a brand that was legitimate, and that was their argument. We're, we're very specific. We're the baseball card brand. You shouldn't allow others. What the judge determined, because uh, Fleer was another company that had uh, filed charges against him, Fleer and all the other baseball card companies was were not allowed to put gum in their baseball packet. That was what the judge said. He's like, Tops, you are unique. You will keep being the only ones that could put gum in your cards. And how ridiculous is that? Oh yeah. That 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 and there was nothing worse that damn gum. It was terrible. It, it had like a powdered sugar on it. Right. And there was nothing worse than when you had a really good card, but it was the one that had been aligned Powdered. against the, the the gum, right? Yeah. And it had the powder like mixed into it. And you're like, well, what the hell happened here? I wonder if any of those baseball players have uh, looked into suing for that powder like they do <laughs> like during the Jerry Springer show where they always have those commercials where you uh, mesophilioma or That's whatever right. that they're going to get because of uh, powdering the wrong parts of your body. So that comes in. There's Fleer. There's Donruss. Now, when you were going out buying baseball cards, did you care which one was which? Great question. For me personally, and this probably varies from kid to kid, I loved Topps because that was Topps was the that was the the big brand, right? right. That was the cool kids shoes. Sure. Don Russ was okay because they had kind of a cool font that they, they used, their, their lettering. I, Fleer, I thought, to me, Fleer was like the generic ripoff. That was like it, the Stadia it, of, I, of cards. I, I, I don't even know Stadia. What's Stadia? Stadia was a, a an athletic shoe that was produced by Kenny Shoe Corporation, oh. I believe, um, that had kind of a Nike-type swoosh, but it went all the way, oh, okay. kind of a Nike Puma crossbreed. Sure. I would tell you I agree. And uh, this might be fun. Uh, what year? Can you think of the year that you thought, now that's the quintessential coolest baseball card yeah. ever made? Yeah, and, and this is the answer I think for most people, Scott, would be directly correlated to the, the year that they thought 
baseball and baseball cards were the coolest, you know, in your childhood. Sure. For me, 83 tops had a circle on the bottom left with the headshot of the guy. And then 84 tops, it was a square in the bottom right, I think. And the name of the team was down the side for the 84. 83 to me was, that's Tony Gwynn's rookie. That's Wade Boggs' rookie. To me, it was 83. But then again, in 83, I was in the fourth grade. And life was yeah. never better than when I was in the fourth grade. I, I get that. I'm, I'm looking at him now. The, like those were, right here. This yeah. is an 85 he just brought out. This yeah. is an 85 Kirby Puckett, right? Right. I know it's an 85 because, and that was the same year, Alvin Davis was the rookie of the year in the American League, Dwight Gooden in the National League. And 85 is a, is a boulder in the stream because 85 was the year. That's okay. You just pulled up on your phone a Wade Boggs. That is clearly 1983. An, that's an 83. Oh, yeah. so it was bottom right. Sorry, where the circle is. Right. But I have, and I still, and this is where to, to long winded and circuitously answer your question. For my birthday in 1985, and we're starting to get now into, I'm, I'm starting to become a young teenager, so my interest level is entering into where I'm starting to wane. But I got the the total box set, which meant I got a long rectangular box that had every card of the 1985 Tops collection, so every player. And I never took any of them. I knew that Dwight Gooden's rookie card was in there, and I knew that Alvin Davis's rookie card was in there. And for that matter, Kirby Puckett would have been in there. But I didn't take them out because, oh, my goodness, no, you can't do that. They have to be in mint condition, and, they, and they're going to be stored right here in my bedroom closet, and I, I think they're still there. I'll, I'll get to you in a second, Joel. I just want to – But people – I was not alone in that. So now all of a sudden you have people preserving and saving cards as opposed to fraying cards. This and wrecks there's more the, of the, the hobby. Correct. Because – why, why even have it? Right. You, you don't feel it. You need to at least look at it. You need to feel it in your hands. You need to know it's there. Do you know, okay. And, and that's a big problem. I, that's a big element, just like stats is one little, maybe 5% of well, why do you need the back of the card? This is probably, I don't know the levels, but it's much bigger issue was the actual enjoyment. You would never trade a card that you never would pull out of a box. You were afraid right. that someone would bend the card or something when you were trading. You know, they were Every called year. trading cards. I don't know if people realize right. that they were called trading cards. Your job with this was to trade the cards. You would meet your friends. My friends, Scott uh, Anderson, uh, who ended up playing at Ohio State in basketball. Uh, I remember riding my bike with my suitcase of baseball cards. I had a suitcase, huge amount of them. And I would go over and trade cards. And it could be very uh angering that you know some people are are just like it's probably like general managers they'll never that think their stuff is worth way too much and you just it's a miserable experience i remember going over his house and having a terrible time because he didn't really want to make a trade where i wanted to trade it was fun to get something new out of it so uh that's a terrible story and it happened to so many kids what you're talking about or adults they wouldn't even let him come out of the box because they thought it was worth more. Do you guys remember going to card shops as you know youngsters? I was also born in 1975, so the, the ears that you guys are talking about is my childhood as well. Looking at going to card shops every Friday night was like the coolest thing for me. Oh, yeah. And then I would buy a box of cards with the gentleman that was standing behind the counter, and we would do pack wars. And then the guy would look up, and the, the most expensive card in the pack, you win the pack. 
most of the time. Oh, know. cool. You know, so you, you were, it was like we were gambling. Yeah. You know, well, for that pack. And speaking of gambling, did you ever do this where they would have like a, a small, basically like a liquor store type brown paper bag? And it would have fifteen cards in it, and it was three dollars. But but you didn't know what fifteen were in there, right? right? Right. So you open it up, and you're going through it, and you're like, "Well, this sucks. I got twelve Ron Osters and two Gary Reedises." And then, oh, wait a minute! <laughs> but wow, look at this—they dropped in a Kirby Puckett or whatever it might be. And then you get right. all excited, right? Yes, exactly. And, and you know, okay, Scott. Every year, and I don't know if this is just an, an Indianapolis thing or if this is a national thing, but every summer there's some day in Indianapolis that's like lemonade stand day it's 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 young entrepreneur you know everybody puts it out on social media my kid's gonna have their lemonade stand on august 12th because that's national lemonade stand business day to teach kids business principles and and whatever and every year i think to myself well if you really want to teach your kid how business works he opens his lemonade stand on august 11th because he's going to make more money if he's the only lemonade stand on the block as opposed to every kid every other house has a lemonade stand now your profit margin is nothing because you have competition well tops until the early to mid 80s was the was running their lemonade stand on august 11th yeah and then all of a sudden everybody is running a lemonade stand and now everybody is producing baseball cards right so the value of the baseball cards diminished because of the abundance of it this is this will give you an idea uh i was during my research just to get just so people have an idea of when this, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, when there was just tops, that was it. There might be, uh, there was a 3D card that would come out of Frosted oh, Flakes yeah. that was super sweet. Uh, didn't there, Twinkies have them on the back Twinkies of the box? Twinkies had them on the back of the box yeah. for a while. Those were like the only other exceptions. So if there was 10 cards in from 1970 to 79 of Johnny Bench, and then maybe there was four Twinkies, and eight uh, 3D cards from Kellogg's, that's still, if you wanted to collect them all, that's 22 cards. I saw an article that said Jason Wirth, they figured out all the cards. He's just an outfielder, pretty good outfielder for the Nationals most of his career. There are 1,270 Jason Wirth cards. So you know what they're worth? Nothing. Yeah. They're... the word worth, he spells it W-E-R-T-H. That's what I think of his cards. They are not even worth what they're <laughs> worth. Uh-huh. Okay? I uh, heard you say, now, I'm going to disagree a little bit because I'm a real artist in a, uh, when it comes to uh, baseball cards. I was four when this card came out, the, the 1971 tops. Those were framed that's, that's cool. so beautifully they had a black border, a heavy black border across from them. Well, All, they're basically horizontal cards. That well, that was vertical, oh, right? Oh, here, speaking of, here we go. Not horizontal. There's our f- friend Reggie Jackson. Yep. Look how cool those looked, though. They just popped off of that black frame to the point where I don't know why no one ever revisited that. That I, I wonder know whose of. job it was to design the card. There's some they really just have cool one designs. Guy? Yeah, they would sure. really change things sure. up. And there was they would put, you know, I, Bob Gibson was another one that I, I wanted to collect every Bob Gibson card. That was my other, you know, holy grail. And 
the Bob Gibson like second year card I remember it was kind of like that it was a it was a horizontal card and it had like the birds on the bat logo on right. it you know what I mean they, they would incorporate the team logos I mean there were a lot of different things they could do with them but it was so cool, wasn't it? That first time that you opened a pack to see what the New Year's cards look like. It was like, oh, yeah. you know, Scott, to be honest with you, it probably was our generation's version of our dads with cars at the showroom floor. Sure. You know, my dad can still tell you, oh, I remember in 57, the Plymouth added the rear wing. You know, same thing with baseball cards. Okay, so if there's an Etzel of a baseball card right. years, right. there's a few years that really are terrible. But I would say then four years later, 1975, Horrible. Yeah, that's the Brett rookie that you just pulled yes, up on the phone. Yes, and you you I was nine then, so that was like probably the year that I really started. You know, uh, and I at nine I wasn't like snobby and going I don't like the look of that, but it, it's kind of um, it's fun to go back and look at them. There is a real nostalgia that my son, for example, could never feel, and that's where I have maybe a different insight than. Uh, you two guys that don't have kids. When my son went out and started buying Pokemon cards, yeah, which uh, to an older dad is about really, I would have preferred him to just grab dollar bills and burn them in front of me because it would have been like, hey, that's a ballsy move, kid. right? Uh, or if he'd have bought the Pokemon cards and then burnt them in front of me, that would have been pretty fun too. Right. But instead, we've got hundreds of these Pokemon cards that he doesn't care about, and he has no connection to. He never watched. He never even watched the cartoon that I guess appeared on TV. He's not a brony. I don't know what's going on there, but there were a few friends of his that had Pokemon cards, and they would trade. And I guess there was a game to it. So I guess the Pokemon listeners right now, which there are some, would tell me, "Hey, at least you could do something with these cards. These cards are worth something in regards to playing versus trading or collecting." But I can never look. I can't imagine a 40-year-old guy that collected Pokemon cards looking at his Pokemon cards 30 years later in a nostalgic way going, right. oh, there, there's the, you know, whatever name it is. Unlike when you look at uh, if it was a Mike Trout and you're like, look at Mike Trout's stance. I remember I used to watch him and, oh, that's a cool photo. Or, oh, my gosh, that is brings me back to being that age. Maybe the cards can. So there's Pokemon. I would say the number one thing, the, the two, what, what would you say is the number one thing you think why baseball cards lost their power? Because obviously all the new cards companies coming in did not help. But for a short term, for a few years, it actually even increased the overall sales. It didn't help tops. But in 1991, there's 1.2, and there had been Fleer and Donruss, and they were upper deck, and there was all these other companies that were out there. What do you think changed things the most for baseball cards? The obvious answer, which is probably not an incorrect answer, is just the fact that you had mentioned earlier the NBA, the NFL, you know, other sports rose and maybe even surpassed baseball in prominence among kids. But I think it goes d deeper than that. I think it's the simple economics, Scott, of – we, when we were kids of the 70s or 80s, right. which was the peak baseball card collecting era, we were, baseball cards to us represented a false hope because we knew the stories of 
Can you stop one second? Mm -hmm. Joel, do you have some dramatic music to play behind That's Jake? Right. Because this, what he is saying here, this, I feel like there should be some That's light right. trumpets playing, <laughs> maybe a coronet uh -huh. even. I don't know. I don't know all my brass band music. So please keep going. That was awesome. Well, when we were collecting, we knew the stories of, yeah, my, my dad, right. he collected cards as a kid and he had... Pee Wee Reese, and he had the Mickey Mantle. You right. know, everybody's dad had the Mickey Mantle. My dad did. But then his mom threw him out. Yes, right. That's all story. Everybody had it. His, he turned 18, and his mom threw all his cards out when he left the house. Right. So they didn't exist anymore. So everyone starts hoarding then. Yes. The reason Mickey Mantle was valuable is because theoretically or seemingly, is that's right. <laughs> that's right. Moms and, and, and bikes, kids and putting them in bikes books. And Mickey Mantle probably slept with many of those moms. That is his, true. His own personal records. Um, and so as a result of that, we were convinced that holding on to the, you know, getting a hold of the George Brett rookie or the Ricky Henderson rookie or the Wade Boggs rookie, which by the way, I sent a Wade Boggs rookie to Wade Boggs to get signed and he never sent it back. So it's floating somewhere in the U.S. Postal Service. Um, or His chicken fingers. Or, or Wade Boggs got rid of it along with 42 beers on a flight, allegedly. But yes. <laughs> so so we, we started, so everyone now all of a sudden is holding on to them right? where there is no rarity. Yeah. And therefore, that that value that we hoped for and were promised, based on the preceding and and you know our predecessors of baseball cards, went away because we weren't getting rid of any of them. And now everybody has them laying around, and so they're not worth anything. You would get the Beckett thing, and I remember it would. There was nothing more deflating than when you'd get a card and you'd say, "Oh my gosh, I have Andy Van Slyke's card. Let me see what it's worth." And you'd look it up, and it would just say "common." Well, what does that mean? Do you it means own any it's worth stocks? five cents. Do you own any stocks? I, like my well, I used to have a four hundred one k. They've taken it away from me. And okay, why, um, who what, who did? The, who no, took I'm, it I'm away? being sarcastic. No, <laughs> I, I had a four hundred one k that 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 like it all goes somewhere. I don't know where it goes. You don't. But you, I, you've never been a guy that was watching particular stocks that you had in your portfolio and watching them go up and down. Because in a way, this was a I great. Have, but yeah, this was, was a great way for kids. To get a little feel, the Andy Van Slyke might as well have been Priceline.com. Correct. So that's an interesting thing. And just to give you an idea how exciting baseball card collecting was and how popular it was, there was a monthly guide. Yep. Beckett. Sports Illustrated now can't even put out a monthly magazine. That's how much changed. Yeah. So why is that? Well, there's another thing that happened. You brought up the hobby shops. At the time, they were all part of it. That made it exciting. That made so much of Joel going out, uh, producer Joel going to the uh, with his cards or buying cards was going to the sh the shop. It was fun. It, that was all part of the ritual. And the most internet, of them sold coins too, right? Yeah, it was collectibles, it was, yeah. right? Yeah. But the internet killed that because all of a sudden, why do you need to go to a card shop when you could just pull it up on your phone and they can mail it out to you or you can mail it to them and you could see right away how much it was worth according to different people. So much like newspapers, what happened with Craigslist, uh, before that, newspapers made most of their money off of garage sale the one ads. ads yeah. And the one ads, they lost it to Craigslist, all the shops fell off and it took something magical away from it. I would argue you mentioned the NBA and the NFL becoming more popular, but then you would think, well, why weren't those cards more popular? I think it has so much to do with baseball cards had to do with the statistics on the back. The baseball players looked 
kind of cooler in their uniforms. You could see their faces. True. You know, football player with his helmet off isn't really a football player. Okay, but a baseball cap, that's all part of it. My two cents on the whole thing would be the strike of 94 happens and there was a lot of dads that were very angry about the strike and a lot of moms, you know, how dare these players, you know, they make this much money and yeah. you're rooting. You're basically rooting for owners. Is that what you're doing? I never rooted for the owners in those times, but it really killed the momentum of baseball cards with all these other things. And then 1993, 94, 95 in that same period, video games got really good. Yeah. And video games versus some kid holding a cardboard piece of paper with a photo and some rudimentary stats on the back all of a sudden didn't seem very exciting. So you put all those things together and this thing that is so nostalgic to you or me or Joel of our generation and older kids just could not connect with it. And Pokemon cards, at least they they've held on. They've been, they've stayed pretty strong because they found out different ways to use them. About four years ago, Tops came out with an app. Now someone bought Tops, and they decided to try to, including uh, Michael Eisner, who used to run Disney. He probably, I think, had an, a, an affinity for cards probably as a kid himself, and he loved baseball. And that app in uh, 2000, I think 15, made $33 million dollars just using this app that had to do with baseball cards. So there's been ways that they've tried to do it, and I think that was just kind of a one-year off. They couldn't keep the momentum of it. Uh, ultimately, I don't see a great future for baseball cards. I mean, do you see th any way that they can tap into that? I mean, some of it has to do with baseball, because baseball itself is falling down. You know, I, I just it, – it's a city sport – really connects in certain cities but where kids growing up it's it's basically a sport and that'd be another good one to do on this show is baseball maybe versus basketball or baseball versus football uh in, in the non-sports fans that are listening that have hung in as long we're not going to do it right away don't worry we'll, we'll get into the <laughs> products that i know you love the the ones that we can make silly commercials with too so throw in your last uh points of view jake if you have on the sport uh baseball cards? cards i'll try to do this in under two minutes yeah uh, they represent the only time in my life that i ever was resourceful and s smarter than other kids that never happened to me but uh, we had family friends that went that had family in canada and i was smart enough to know if you wanted a player to sign your card you had to send a self addressed stamped envelope so that they could sign the card or someone in the office that's really the card. risky it was so it had to be one you had duplicates but you would have to send the card with an envelope so that with the stamp on it so they didn't have to go to that trouble and i got smart enough to realize wait a minute our stamps don't work in canada so all these kids all these losers oh. that are sending stamps to canada they can't send it back to the expos and the Blue Jays. Blue Jays. So I had someone bring me back from Canada a bunch of Canadian stamps and put a self-addressed Canadian stamped envelope 
and sent off to the Blue Jays, and literally like 90% of their roster sent cards back. And, of course, I was convinced as a kid it was because I was the only that was smart enough. And where they said, well, I can send this. See, he's got a Canadian stamp, and I, was, I thought I was brilliant. So I was excited about that. I feel like you're brilliant. How old were you yeah. at this time? Um, that was the 84 season, so I would have been 11. Uh, that was jQuery mint condition. That was that was also the last time I was in mint condition. That's correct. Um, but so having said all of that, um, I loved them. I had fun with them. I've yeah. had fun sitting here reliving them. And I think it's safe to say that they have gone the way of lawn darts and high dives. And that's something that was really fun for us back in the 80s that now just is a faded, archaic memory for kids today. Yeah. Joel, Joel, what's your best memory that you have of uh, baseball producer Joel Hennard right now? Go ahead. You got a memory of baseball cards that stands out above all? Yeah, I went to a show to meet Kirby Puckett, and he didn't show up. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, you know. Oh, I love that. St- stood in line. It was like a really cold day in Minnesota. We drove all the way up there. Oh, you drove from, to Minnesota? Wow. <laughs> from Dyer, Indiana. Oh. He, he was sick. We understand, but it was Wasn't still. Wasn't he from the south side of Chicago? Yes. Was that you know, your, your bond to him as a region kid, maybe? Yeah, that's my bond to him as a region kid, yes. Okay. But, yeah, we drove all the way to Minnesota, my dad and I. Got up there, stayed in our hotel, got up the next morning at 8 o'clock to get in line, stood in line for 45 minutes, and a young lady comes out and says, we're so sorry. Um, Kirby's not going to be here today, and we went home. Was there anyone that signed anything there? Kent, Bert, Kent Herbeck came out and signed. Flylevin was there, but That's I had bad. but I had no I didn't I was already pissed off. You could see right. the crying boy. I was very Right. Mad. You didn't ten, have a Blylevin card, right? No, no, I was ten years old. I was oh, upset. No. Yeah. My dad was like, No, we're taking this child and leaving. You know what they should have done? If Kirby Puckett was only under the weather for a day, they could have had Jack Buck come out and say, We will see you tomorrow night. Right? <laughs> that was I like his it. famous Kirby yes, Puckett. Yes, it was his Jake. Okay, Not a good so, Jack Buck. No, J- Jake, let me ask you, uh, since you were in the sports business for a long time, who, uh, you, you said uh, athletes that were signing cards mm-hmm. or signing autographs, what's the worst autograph situation that you've ever run into as an adult or a kid? 1,000% remember this. At the Indiana Convention Center, 1984, a huge baseball card show, and among the headliners, Hall of Famer Duke Snyder was to be there. And I was walking in, and before I went into the show, I decided to go to the restroom and went into the men's room. And who is standing at the urinal? By the way, pants at ankles guy while using urinal. But Wait Duke a minute. Snyder. No, no, no. St- right. let's, not st- let's, let's stop there a minute. Mm-hmm. Who does the pants at the ankles? That, When's the last time you saw a pants at the Five-year-olds and Duke Snyder. Okay. All right. So, you know, I... Willie Mickey and the Duke. All I know is there's this old guy, you know, okay. Yeah. And, I, and so I use the restroom and I wash my hands and I'm leaving. And now I'm walking towards the card show and I look over to my right and here's the guy. Thankfully, his pants are now pulled up. And my dad says, well, that's Duke Snyder. And so my dad said, you should get his autograph. So I walk up to him. We're probably 300 yards from the entrance to the show. And I say, excuse me, Mr. Snyder, can I have your autograph? And I hand him a pen and, and you know, my booklet. And he says, you want my autograph? And I said, yeah. And he said, good. You'll pay for it like every other little kid. <laughs> and he walked off and walked in. And I am, and while he is no longer with us, rest his soul, uh, I am thrilled to report that later Duke Snyder was charged with tax evasion for not I taxing. I love this He didn't story. pay taxes on all the little kids that he scammed for $5. It. And I was not one of them. Okay. So there you go. Okay. Who's the most famous person you've ever uh, been in a urinal next to? 
So I have a good one. Boy, Duke Snyder's got to be way up. Okay. You've been in the this? sports business, you know. I, okay. I, I will tell this story. Um, this would be a podcast. Famous several, urinal stories. Several years ago, the NFL Combine was in Indianapolis. Well, every year it was. And I was down there. I was working for a television station sure. here in Indianapolis. And so we went down. We always, you know, let's go down. We'll just find some NFL dignitary and get a sound bite, or that means a clip on the news right. of somebody talking about the combine. So my photographer and I go down there. Again, Indiana Convention Center. Might have been the same bathroom. And I went into the restroom to use the restroom, the urinal, not to be graphic. And someone is absolutely going to war in the stall. <laughs> It's humiliating. I don't know if it's more humiliating for me or that person, but they had bad Thai food or whatever, and it is ungodly. Yes. And and then I and then I hear, and the person comes out. That's a good sign, actually. Goes right past me, blows right past the hand sanitizer, right past the sinks. Oh no! I get done using the restroom, and I see who the person is, and as I walk out. My photographer has now stopped this person be, to say, hey, this is someone we can interview. And I'm thinking, oh, goodness, <laughs> I, he has major intestinal issues. So as I walk up, my photographer says, hey, I went ahead and stopped him to do an interview. And I said, oh, okay. And so this individual extends his hands to shake hands sure. with me. Sure, yeah. And, and, and all I could think was, I, I know you're the owner of the Dallas Cowboys and seemingly oh. a great guy. My gosh. But you don't this wash your hands. So be- and that's who it was. Tech Shram. No. No. Later than that. Jer- I- <laughs> we need to lead. I'll, I'll put it have- to you this way. His hair might be plugged, but his bowels were not. not. Yeah. I uh not but but from what I understand, a, a sweetheart of a guy. But okay, sure. Must have been in a hurry that day. Bad day. Yeah. Bad day. We've all had him. Yeah. Um, maybe wash the hands though. Uh and I don't believe you have to wash your hands every time. I don't. I'm not a believer in every time. But if you're famous, you pretty much should do. If you know you're going out and grinning and gripping, time. it's probably a yes. good idea. Yes. Okay. But that's a real power move, too, to, to take a Cleveland steamer or a Pittsburgh platter in a bathroom <laughs> at the NFL Combine, not wash your hands and shake everybody's hand. That's kind of a power move. Uh, Joel, I think that might need to lead the podcast. I don't know. I didn't tell you I have to edit, but that might be the greatest podcast story ever. No. I want to also state that my best person, and I the like I was like, couldn't believe it. I was a high school journalist and I won an award of there's like five of us in the state of Iowa that got to cover the Democratic um debate which iowa has a caucus every year in presidential elections and who did i pee next to tom brokaw really yeah and getting better than that i mean that's pretty high that's pretty big that's pretty big and it was took every bit of my seven i think 16 i probably 17 at that point not to look i didn't i didn't look (laughs) that's good you know you really don't don't know why you're looking over here yes right i would tell you that my best Autograph story since uh, Joel told his, and of course Jake told his. I went to see the Harlem Globetrotters as a kid, and at the time they were so big, they were bigger than the NBA. They would sell way more tickets than NBA games. They would tour the world. They had their own cartoon. That's how popular 
the Harlem Globetrotters. You imagine have the Golden State Warriors having their own cartoon? They no. were so popular that when they landed on Gilligan's Island, Gilligan knew who they were, and yeah. he hadn't been off the island in five years. Yes, that's how popular. Yeah. Good, very good point. Metal Ark Lemon was there. This was the 70s. You know, I, he would have been the top three athletes I would have wanted to meet. Uh, my parents take me to this after the game. Let's go down. We're going to get some autographs. He pushed all the kids off to the side and would not sign autographs and walked out. Okay. Your, your whole business is kids. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. I understand if you're Bill Russell and you're fighting the power of the sixties or whatever you're doing and you don't sign autographs, but you know, metal arc pushed everyone aside. Only two players would sign. Wait a minute. One, one curly Neal. No curly uh, refused to also okay. Manny rivers, who was his uh, understudy point guard dribbler extraordinaire. And then another player who I can't remember who had a stamper who would stamp his autograph on everybody. Really? Which is a really kind of, it's a dick move. I'm sorry. It's worse (laughs) than maybe pushing kids away than stamping your name. So that's my Globetrotter story. You know what? Next time I'll have maybe a higher, like more positive way on the way out. But I had to cover up for that Tech Shram story that uh, Jake, <laughs> Jake had. Wow, that was, that was possibly the greatest podcast story of all time. Thank you again, Jake, for being part of this. Joel, tell people how to find you in life. Uh, you can follow me up on Twitter at Joel Hennard or check out my show on Blog Talk Radio, the Fantasy Insider Show. Yeah, Joel is a baseball expert when it comes to fantasy sports or just baseball in general, check him out. Jake, where do we find you? That is a really good question mm. uh, right here on the podcast, seemingly. Yeah. Um, I will be calling IndyCar races for the IndyCar Radio Network coming up in the spring, and I am a free agent in terms of being a sports talk show host, and whether or not that continues remains to be seen. I think well, that rhymed. I would say that this kind podcast of. probably will be up, and this was recorded in uh, mid to late January. I would guess it'll be up in the next couple of days. Uh, I'm hoping you have a job by then, a new job. That's uh, that's how optimistic I'm going to take uh, things at. I believe my girlfriend feels the same way. Yes, she, okay. did she did she get in your ear? Is that it? Is she encouraging you to? Well, she's tired of paying for dinner. You're not known for returning texts very quickly, so I figured I text your uh, your girlfriend, and she did mention that. So thank <laughs> that's you. Right. Uh, I'm Scott Long. I have no idea if Pete will be back next time. Look, he's just uh, he's a bon voyant. He's a uh, raconteur. And uh, I'm just happy whenever he shows up. Love you, Pete. Good luck with that. I'm scottcomedy.com. And uh, check me out there or Scott Comedy on Twitter. And besides that, this might work. Who knows what we'll talk about next episode.